Good evening, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. This year, one Sunday a month, sometimes earlier in the year, two Sundays a month, I've been preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. This is not really a part of that series. This expands on the epistle we have covered in the series, giving further attention to a passage that came up earlier in the series. In chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, it is clear that Paul is responding to critics. That impression is confirmed when you get to the third verse of chapter 9, where Paul says, this is my defense to those who would examine me. He makes it clear. He is answering critics in chapter 9. Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ. His life's work was to preach the gospel. In preaching the gospel, there was opposition. Opponents apparently troubled the church in Corinth, questioning Paul's apostleship. So Paul was put in this position, and he said here, This is my defense to those who would examine me. He writes then in chapter 9 to affirm his apostleship, defend his right to receive support for preaching the gospel. He reluctantly gives an account of his patient sacrifice in taking the gospel to both Jews and Gentiles. And here's how the chapter comes to a close, verses 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I think when you first read that, you hear Paul saying to Christians in Corinth, I'm in the same race that you are in. I'm not the exception to the rule because I'm an apostle. I don't stand on higher ground, though I have a specific assignment. We are all in the same race. We're going to look further into this in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27 to see what it meant to Paul and his readers and then what it should mean to Christians today. From the text, I want to begin with these observations. Paul writes in the first person singular. When Paul wrote 
about the normal conduct of a Christian's life. He never imposed on others an obligation that he didn't accept. So whatever he said about Christian character, whatever he outlined about the duty of a child of God, he accepted all of that. He considered himself subject to all of that instruction that he imparted. He never imposed on others an obligation he didn't personally accept himself. Now that means as an apostle, he did not consider himself exempt or as a preacher. His appointment as an apostle did not grant him some exception to the rules. He was under the same instruction he imparted to others. So here he says, I do not run aimlessly. And here he says, I discipline my body. The first person singular signals very clearly that he considered himself under the instruction that he imparted to others. Secondly, I want us to notice that this is athletic imagery here. You can see that just right away. Sports is not a uniquely American pastime. Competition in athletic events was common in Greece and Rome. And you know that because Bible writers used imagery that was known to the readers, to the people. And running was a well-known contest. It is referred to here and also in the book of Hebrews and in Galatians 5 and verse 7. So Paul is writing first person singular, I'm under the rules that I give to you. And he's using imagery that is commonly understood by his readers. One more quick matter before we get to the heart of this. The emphasis here is on effort. The emphasis is on effort. There is no implication of defeating somebody else in the race. As there might be in modern racing track competition. There's no implication at all of defeating someone else in the race. No cheering one runner on against the competition. There's none of that in this imagery, in this application. The emphasis rather is on effort. So here's Paul writing in the first person singular, I'm under the same rules you're under. He is using common imagery known to the people in athletic competition, and the emphasis is on effort. Now, with all that in mind, I want you to listen again to our text, and then I'll bring to our attention what this needs to mean to me and to you. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body 
and bring it under control, lest, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I want to highlight what this passage needs to mean to me and to you. Under the framework of these four points, motivation is captured by that word prize. In the ancient games of Greece and Rome, it wasn't just running for your health, though running contributed to their health. It was running that the contestants were involved in as they put their eye on the prize. I've read that often in those events, a specially adorned wreath would be placed at the finish line. And it would be situated in such a way that the runners would see it. And they would be getting closer and closer. It was motivation to do their best. And it's my understanding that those in the audience, those who were watching the competition, who were watching the running, could see that the runners had their eye on that wreath. Paul speaks of that. But he speaks of that with these words to make a distinction between the wreath that they had their eye on and the wreath that we should have our eye on. He says, they do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. Christians... In order to be steadfast and strong and expend all effort, must keep their eye focused on the eternal prize. Let us admit there are great benefits to being a Christian while you're here on the earth. But we will leave the earth. What will matter then is the eternal prize the imperishable wreath that is now our motivation. Our motivation becomes our possession. The simplest way to think of this is, I want to go to heaven, don't you? And see, that question has framed within it motivation. Certainly we want to go to heaven to avoid the alternative. But heaven will all be about being in the presence, the peaceful and comforting presence of the Creator, the Son, the Holy Spirit, to dwell in glory forever. That's the prize. I need to keep my eye there. Not on the world, but I need to keep my eye on the prize. That supplies the motivation we need. Those imperishable wreaths, or those perishable wreaths, I should say, that captured the motivation of those runners, wore out, decayed. Archaeologists cannot find them. But what we have our eye on is heaven. Do you have that in view? If you have the motivation, then you will be involved in training. And you'll never get out of training. Training is implied 
in virtually every phrase of this imagery that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Rigorous training is necessary for athletic games, to run and win. Desire is essential, but by itself will be insufficient. Knowledge of the skills involved is necessary, but by itself is insufficient. Motive is essential, but by itself is insufficient. There's got to be the activity of training, rigorous training, discipline, sometimes very strict discipline that is painful. Now, being seated in this auditorium, listening to Scripture being taught is part of our training, but it's not the whole. It's part of our training, but it's not the whole. The painful training and discipline is the rigorous activity of applying what we learn here out there. It is relatively easy to read, to learn, and even to remember. The hard part is when you put all of that to use out in life where temptations and trials are encountered. When you apply the word in real life situations and in your mind day after day after day, that can be challenging, but it prepares you for future possession of that imperishable wreath. In a Gallup poll in 1991, it showed that 78% of Americans expect to go to heaven when they die. 78% of Americans expect to go to heaven when they die. I suspect the number is down in 2018 because so many people probably no longer even believe in heaven. But in 1991, in this Gallup poll, 78% of Americans expected to go to heaven when they passed away. However, many of them in the same poll admitted that they don't pray, they don't read the Bible, they don't attend any kind of assembly such as we're having, and they admit in the poll that they live to please themselves in the world day after day instead of God. I wonder why these people would want to go to heaven, but 78% said they expect that's going to happen. Paul says without the proper motivation and without the training, the rigorous training that is typical of the athlete, you're not going to have that imperishable wreath. Rigorous training gets us ready to receive that imperishable wreath at the finish line. To run successfully, there must be aim. I mean, you cannot go out to a track event and say, I'm here to run, and then just run anywhere. You have to run according to the rules of the race and at the proper place where the runners are to be. You can't run aimlessly. You know, in the New Testament writings, there are 
so many words and phrases and images that immediately convey to us lack of aim, lack of commitment and follow-through. I'm thinking about in Ephesians, tossed to and fro, or in Hebrews, drifting, or in James that we've studied recently in the adult class, a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Perhaps you've noticed some people in real life <clears throat> that fulfill those images. Perhaps you've noticed some people just sort of stumble around all their lives without aim. They move about from one bad choice to another without good aim. They never seem to commit to wisdom, making changes and getting on the right course that God has directed. Paul says, I do not run aimlessly. And then he adds to that another secondary image because it's still about athletics, but it's a secondary image. He says, I do not box as one beating the air where you never touch anything. See, in running and in boxing, it is more than just activity. It is activity that is disciplined by purpose, commitment, and direction. We cannot just run anywhere. We have to run according to the rules and in the right direction. We cannot be half-hearted and lazy and undiscerning and aimless. For there to be victory, there must be daily purpose and follow-through. In track and field events, there is not an award for the aimless runner. Well, I take that back. Nowadays, maybe in some places, you get an award just for showing up. But what the Christian must do is fix our vision on the imperishable wreath or crown, motivated by that, be engaged in training from now on, take it seriously, and run with Aim. And here's one reason all of this is so important. You could be disqualified. You could be disqualified. Listen again to verse 27. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Do you know that this verse poses a major challenge? to people who are loyal to denominational theology or creed because it clearly says that believers could be disqualified if they do not engage in the effort and discipline that's taught in the passage. Now, Brother Berkeley, do you mean the Apostle Paul could have been lost? Well, he said here, I am engaged as a runner, I discipline my body that I might obtain and not be disqualified. It is possible for believers to be lost if they become negligent in the expression of that belief. Falling back into sin or indifference or apathy or running aimlessly. You've just got to keep running. Not just activity, but the right activity in the right direction, following the rules that God gave, lest we should be disqualified. Never miss or dismiss 
warnings like this in the Bible, they have a positive purpose. Every warning has a positive purpose. Never miss or dismiss warnings like this. Warnings keep us alert. They keep our aim where it ought to be. They keep us in training. They keep the eye on the imperishable wreath. It is possible to start the race correctly, but not run well, suffer a loss of discipline, get out of training, wander around aimlessly, and be disqualified. Now, at this point in our study, with this specific warning in front of us, what I want us to do is something I recommend all the time. We're going to just keep reading. I want you to look into chapter 10 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Here's what comes right after the warning about being disqualified. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Sounds kind of like being disqualified. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters. As some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Do you see, this is one of the main points I wanted to get across. Do you see how the last part of chapter 9 leads right into chapter 10? There is the possibility of people who were once faithful to God being disqualified. And that's illustrated in the Old Testament. Paul says, I discipline myself 
knowing that I could be disqualified. And then in chapter 10, he reminds the Corinthians of the Jewish people in Old Testament times who were disqualified. And then he says, look at chapter 10, verse 6, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. He says some of them were destroyed. So for Christians today, the training, the running, the self-control, the exertion of energy, the eye on the imperishable wreath, all of that is about giving God our best and avoiding the tragedy of being disqualified. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Effort, motivated by the prize that takes us into training and keeps us there with good discipline, worth fixing our aim and our living so that we will not be disqualified. Let's be standing as we sing.